Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listening. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at nbkumc.com. It's a wonderful uh, Sunday morning. It was so gloomy. I mean, it kind of is so gloomy, but it's now partly cloudy. Um, I believe it's the 27th, so welcome to the last Sunday of September. We have made it through about from the middle of March till now, so maybe about like close to six months of quarantine. And not meeting in person. Uh, I hope you guys have had a wonderful week. I know a lot of us are settling into our new routines and our new grinds. Uh, so it's really good to see you guys all here. Um, there are a lot of things. I, you know me. I always like to address uh, things that have happened in 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 our world these past few weeks, and uh, um, a very important. Uh, Advocate for women's rights passed away. Uh, I believe it was last week at the end of last week, and I didn't I didn't have the proper um, headspace to talk about it. But let's keep our country in prayer um, as our country uh, uses our faith and our religion to as a as a as a weapon and weaponizes Christianity for the sake of political agenda. Uh, let's just. Yeah, really keep our country in our prayers. I don't think there's anything more to do at that point, but to just pray for our country. Uh, we believe that regardless of who stands um, in the White and in the White House or, or in Congress or in, in the Supreme Court, we believe that God reigns over every country and that His law stands higher above every law. Um, and so let's just take a moment just to be in prayer for our country. Uh, just take a, a, a minute of, of silence just to pray. Um, our whole nation is grieving over uh, the possibility of just more ostracization and more marginalization of more people groups as a result of the potential, you know, passing of uh, a reversal of Roe v. Wade and, and whatnot. Um, not that our church condones or not that our church encourages um, abortion, but through this, a lot of people groups will continue to be more marginalized uh, socioeconomically as much as they are politically. And yeah, this is just going to be a really big step backward for our country if, if it continues. And a lot more people will be suffering and will be crying out to God. So let's just take a moment to pray in unity uh, for people who might be different from us, for, with, for people who might think differently from us. Um, and let's just pray for our country that God would reign high above it. Yeah, let's just take a moment to pray. God, we just want to we just want to give you glory. Um, Lord, this is just a really hard time for our country. Uh, in the midst of Black Lives Matter, in the midst of so many people marginalized, ostracized, God, there's yet one more thing that is happening um, through uh, Justice uh, RBG's passing. Father, it just really breaks our heart if we consider the amount of people that will lose uh, just rights to their body and and even the accessibility of health care. And God, we just pray for them. We pray, God, that you would be with every single soul that is grieving, every single soul that is bitter and angry. God, we pray for unity in the body of Christ to arise now more than ever. God, we pray for peace. We pray for comfort. Father, Lord, we pray that we would not just submit uh, to what is going on right now, not even just submit to what our moral codes are, but God, that we would hold your word higher than even our own thoughts, for your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And God, you reign on the throne. So Jesus, we pray that we be able to submit to you. God, just be with us, be with our country. Help us to lament for those who are mourning. Help us to come alongside those who are hurting Jesus. Help us to really listen into those who are angry, those who are bitter. God, we thank you for uh, just the opportunity to, to be in this country at this time. Uh, Lord, in this very confusing time of elections and, and whatnot, not that, you know, um, not to push forward anything to that effect, but 
God, we just we just ask for peace and clarity um, amongst our congregation, amongst the body of Christ. We pray, God, for unity in the body of Christ. God, that your love uh, would reign higher than every other love. God, that your unity would reign higher than any other unity. Unity in political value, unity in morality, unity in culture, unity in socioeconomic status. Father God, I just pray that all of those things, uh, in the ways that they fall short, Father God, that they would be made perfect in you, God, that we would be able to uh, be unified, God, regardless of what we look like and what the color of our skin is and, and where our backgrounds are and what area of the country we've grown up in and how we've grown up. I pray, God, that we would truly be able to be unified as one body. Lord, we pray for your supernatural intervention. God, we know that you are still reigning. And Father Lord, our nation is teetering to a point uh, where it might come in, in inconsistency and manipulation of your word. Lord, we pray that your word would reign higher. God, we pray for a call of your power. We pray, Lord, for a genuine repentance of the body of Christ in the ways that we have marginalized and oppressed other people in the past, God, through a supremacy of race, of religion, God, of gender, of socioeconomic status, Lord. We just pray, Father God, that we would just be able to fall, fall prostrate before you, regardless of who we are, in unity with one another, regardless of whether or not we have been winners or losers in this battle. Father God, that we would just be able to gather to the boundary, and God, that we would be united and bound together by your blood to the point where we can care for those who are mourning, for the to the point where we can come alongside those who are hurting, those who are angry and bitter. God, that we would not just consider ourselves, but that we would consider your love. So Jesus, would you just hide your hide us behind your cross, that only you are magnified and glorified. Uh, just We just pray for your church. We know that you are with us, and we just want to give you glory. So we just love you, and we, we, just, we just lift up your name higher than every other name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please continue to keep our country in your prayers. Uh, I truly believe that God has given us the spirit of intercession for a reason, and that it is one of our primary calls. Um, if you have a hard time praying, that's fine. Um, you can talk to me personally about, you know, getting back into prayer, or what prayer consists of. Uh, not to assume that every single one of you uh, know how to pray, but uh, let's just continue to keep um, our country in our hearts and in our prayers, not just in our minds, but in our souls. Um, and let's also uh, remind ourselves in this time as as more and more things happen and as, as more and more of us become more angry and bitter and uh, caustic to the happenings of our country, let's continue to look to the cross and, and Remember that we are in the world, but not of the world, and uh, live in the freedom that Christ has given us. Free to be uncomfortable, free to take risks, free to love one another past our abilities. Uh, with that, let's just continue in. You know, one thing that has not changed in the middle of quarantine is acts. And we are not even, you know, after... Uh, I don't even know how many weeks. It's probably been like 25 or some crazy number like that because it's half a year now. But you know, if y'all are wondering, there aren't 22 chapters next. There aren't 23 chapters. There are 28. So one thing that is consistent and will stay consistent through the rest of the year is our sermon series on the book of Acts. So if you guys can open up your Bibles with me um, to Acts chapter 21. Verse 17, Acts is before Romans, after John. Um, I am a huge proponent of the ESV, um, but when it comes to Luke's preaching and teaching, Luke is a, a doctor, and so he's kind of a uh, a difficult man, um, very, very intelligent. And so it might be easier to read the NIV, the NRSV if you need aid in what's going on, you can even read the message. Those are all legitimate translations, but I'll be reading from the ESV. We are not standing together. We usually stand together um, in the reading of God's holy and perfect word, but I pray that we would hold all due diligence and reverence as we read God's word. This is the word of God. When we, have come, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. 
After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you have, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a minute to pray. God, what is the extent of unity that you desire us to be in? Jesus, what is your will and what is your way? Help us. Help us. Help us to love you and to care for the things of you, Jesus. Hide us behind your cross, that only you are magnified. Be with us, God. Be with us. Lord, we pray for your word to enter into our hearts. We pray, God, that you would hide me behind your cross, that only you are magnified and glorified. And we pray, God, that you would help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to just remember who we are in you. Father, I sense in my spirit that there are people of all different walks. Some of us in our congregation and our family might feel ashamed. Some of us in our congregation and in our family might not love themselves. Some of us in our congregation and in our family might be confused, God. And yet others of us might be doing better. Lord, we just pray that your Holy, that, that, that the Holy Spirit, God, would just descend or not descend because you are already in us, but that you would make yourself known in us right now. That you would give to each and every person who is hearing this prayer as they need, be it comfort or conviction. Lord, we pray that every single soul would be reassured this morning that they are loved by you, that there is nothing on heaven and on earth that can separate them from your love, and that there is something greater than everything this world has to offer. I pray that we will come back to the reality of the gospel this morning, and as we listen to what it means to follow you and be in freedom, God, I pray, God, just for a supernatural unity to fall upon every single head. God, that we would truly take in and observe your grace for ourselves, that the Holy Spirit it, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the mercy of God would wash over every single heart right now. So God, hide us behind your cross. Be magnified in us. We give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you guys notice, I skipped the last part of chapter 20. Um, feel free to read it on your own time, but I believe that there will be a different, a different fitting occasion to... Not a different fitting occasion, but there, the Lord has, um, yes, it's it's just going to be left for another time. So, um, we're continuing through Acts, um, skipping over the end of chapter 20 and the beginning of chapter 21, we have moved into this second portion of Acts chapter 21. Today, um... 
The title is Conforming or Being Freed. Conforming or Being Freed. That's today's title. And I'm just going to read the main idea for us. Just in case we get a little lost or it gets hard to keep up with this one especially. The main idea is that at times it is important to stand in the gap for the sake of unity in the body. At times it is important to stand in the gap for the sake of unity in the body of Christ. So a little bit of the context is that Paul has been going from city to city with the goal of getting to Jerusalem and then moving into Rome and then into Spain and Greece, right? And many times along the way, the Holy Spirit has confirmed over and over again through people who pray, through prophets, through Paul's own personal life, that he will be arrested in Jerusalem and that he will be persecuted. And so many people have told him, don't go, don't go. But Paul has reassured them. Saying, I must, because it is the power of the Holy Spirit in me, compelling me. I live my life for God. And so Paul embarks on this very, very serious, very dangerous endeavor. And he finally makes it to Jerusalem right here. So he makes it to Jerusalem. And the first thing he does is he actually encounters the Jerusalem church. We see here in... Verse 18, that he goes to see James, and then he becomes in the presence of the elders. So that's the context. Paul is right now in perilous waters, both literally and also figuratively. He is risking his life at this point, um, at the threat of of dying, um, and has gone back to the heart of everything in the holy city. And at this point, Paul goes in, he greets them, and then he explains to them all that God has been doing in the ministry, how God has been blessing Gentiles, and God has been bringing people to Christ from city to city. Paul's like, look at this. Like, this is what's been going on. And there's just, you know, his testimony about how God has been faithful. And everybody's like, yes, you know, and and just so encouraged. Um, And then the elders, after, you know, giving glory to God for everything that Paul was sharing, actually, they sit Paul down. And they tell him, hey, hey, Paul, look, right now there is a rumor in Jerusalem. Paul's like, what rumor? And they're like, Paul, had, you, there is a rumor in Jerusalem right now that, that you abolish Jewish tradition. That you preach in favor of abolishing Jewish tradition. Now, why is that significant? Why is this situation significant enough for Paul to address? See, there are three things to understand from the verses, if you guys can track with me through the verses. There are three things that consist of this rumor about Paul in the body of Christ in Jerusalem. The first thing is that Paul preaches apostasy from Mosaic law. The second thing is that he abolishes circumcision for Jews. And the third thing is that he abolishes the custom of Jewish tradition. I'm going to read that one more time. The first thing is that he preaches, the first part of the rumor is that he preaches apostasy from Mosaic law. The second thing is abolishing circumcision. And the third thing is abolishing customs of Jewish tradition. Now, what does apostasy mean? The word apostasy means is to turn away, to fall away, or to reject. Why is this negative? See, these Jews who have become Christian, they would now be considered Messianic Jews, right? Jews who have stayed Jewish but believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and therefore have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but have stayed Jewish because they're still zealous for the law, quote scripture. Um, The significance of what Paul is saying to them is that Paul is not just saying that Jesus has completed or created a new covenant. They're saying that Paul is completely against practicing anything Jewish. Now, the first thing, apostasy from Mosaic law. And and the third thing, apostasy customs of Jewish tradition. That's not just about... 
you know, purification rites, and that's not just about uh, whether or not you need to kill an animal to be saved. That's not just about any of those kinds of things, but it's actually about abolishing the law of Moses, that is the Ten Commandments, and all the ritual laws. So basically the rumor is that Paul does not believe in it, he does not follow it, and he encourages Jews to stop following the Ten Commandments. The the significance of this is that Jew, Judaism is a theocracy, which means that they are a governing body, but they are also a theological governing body. And what that means is that um, if they do not follow these things, they are basically subject to not just apostatizing or falling away from the religion, but actually even maybe even anarchy, um, not following any moral laws whatsoever. If you guys remember what the Ten Commandments is, right? Honor, honor things like honor your father and mother, keep the Sabbath holy, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, um, do not lie. All of these things. Um, so the first thing is that Jewish people in the church have come to believe that Paul is not in agreement with these laws, these moral laws that they have lived by, this culture that they have upheld. And then the other thing, abolishing circumcision for Jews. Circumcision was tantamount not just to your status in the church, but it was also tantamount to a sort of citizenship in the Jewish state. Because the Jewish state was not just contingent on um, on governing laws, but it was tied inextricably, that is, they, you could not do one without the other uh, with Jewish religion. And so the, the, the potential consequences of this rumor is quite catastrophic. In fact, um, if this rumor is proven true, then Jewish leaders and police or centurions or whatever whatever governing policing body exists in the Roman colony would they would actually have the right to like execute Paul because he would be considered then a seducer of the people. Um, and that's that's instead in stone to be um, punished with the death penalty. So uh, this is like a very serious rumor that Paul not only believes that Jesus is above all of these things, but he believes that you should stop being Jewish, basically, altogether. Now, is this true? Oh wait, before before we go into whether or not he actually did do this. Um, this has obviously catastrophic consequences. I can't speak today. Um, this not only has catastrophic consequences to Paul as an individual, but it actually really stumbles the people from being able to hear the gospel out of his mouth. At that point, if they really believe that Paul is this person, they won't be able to hear the gospel that comes out of his mouth because it, what they know him to be is so blatantly wrong. It's kind of like, to give you guys an illustration, of how bad this is or how how deeply entrenched um, parts of these culture is, is um, I'm going to give the example. So Korea, now a lot of you guys aren't Korean or may have never been to Korea. Me, I'm one of them. I'm completely second gen. I've never been to Korea. Um, but whether or not we've been to Korea, most of us don't actually know Korean history. So not to give you guys a, big, a brief history lesson, but um, we all know that Korean, the Korean government is a little bit wacko. Uh, but they were even wacko, not to call them that, sorry. I don't know who I'm apologizing to. Not God, but anyway. Um, so they were, you know, they were even more off the deep end um, in the 80s. Uh, that's still when uh, Korea was pretty corrupt, and it's still when Korea was emerging in democracy. Uh, Korea was a very young democracy at that point. Uh, Korean War was an armistice. It was still, the armistice itself was still relatively new. And, um, you know, President Park had been assassinated, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, so at this point, um, in law, 
in Korean law, there were not just laws because they were an emerging democracy, because they were a new developing country. Uh, there were not just political, moral things in law, but some things that were maybe a little bit arbitrary and maybe a violation of human rights. Uh, for example, there was one law that banned adultery. So if a woman or a man, but mostly it was for mostly a lot more women, I think, got captured than men. Very interesting um, because women didn't have many rights at all, not just politically, but culturally back then. Um, if you were to be found cheating on your husband at that time, you would be given a jail sentence of three years. So the consequences of cheating on your spouse would be you'd be taken into the police and put in jail for three years. Um, another pretty crazy law that might be a violation of human rights is the ban of same surname marriage. Um, now, we all know how common, like my name is on paper because I've taken on my, my beloved father's last name. My name right now is Jane Chun, but I was born with the name Jane Kim. That name, Jane Kim, is one of the most common names that you will ever see. I think I can't even find. Now we have two Jane Kims, we have two Jane Kims in our ministry, y'all. There are like 40 people in this ministry, but there are already two Jane Kims. I seriously have like 10 to 12 Jane Kims in my, in my phone. And I literally have to put in, you know where it says company? I put in how I know them. <laughs> like what community they're from, because there's no, there's no way to keep track, alright? Some surnames that are really crazily common, like Lee, super, super common. We've got a bunch of Lee's in our ministry. We've got like a third of our ministry is Kim's, a third of our ministry is, is Choice. You know, it's just, there's just, you know, they're, they're just everywhere. We we have we have a bunch of Hongs, we have a bunch, it's, it's just a lot. It's a lot, alright? Um so uh yeah, so there are there are a lot. Um and then there are lesser common last names. I'm actually not sure. I believe that Jung is a lesser common last name. Other lesser common last names are like Beck or Pake or Pak. Um and like this particular last name that's Sung. Now these last names are seen to have one ancestral line, and so the government actually banned same surname marriage, that is, if you're from the same ancestral line, that's like, um, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people, all right? Uh, not in your, I mean, it's like ancestral, like ancestral line. We're not talking like in the same family. It's not a matter of incest at that point. It's just like, yeah, so it's just, basically y'all have all the same last name. It's like, it's like, oh, Johnson and Johnson. If your names are Johnson and Johnson, y'all can't get married. Like, that's kind of what was going on there, all right? Um... And people would legitimately get, they would legitimately get captured and put in jail for trying to marry somebody who had the same last name as them. But this, this law actually took a long time to be overturned because it was not just political, but it was culturally entrenched. People genuinely believed that it was wrong, morally wrong, it, to marry somebody with the same last name as you. So that's, it's hard to hear now, but it was a big, big problem back then. And in the 80s, I believe, is actually when it got overturned, but actually culturally, that kind of norm stayed intact until the mid-90s. Because it was so hard for the older generation to change their mind about that. And so a lot of the times and a lot of the cases, there were people who would be fighting and almost be even, you know, like, they would even be disowned or excommunicated from families if they were to marry somebody of the same last name, even if it is politically okay now, even if it is legally acceptable by law, they would still get excommunicated because they were seen to be doing something oh, like morally subversive and, and so wrong. Like it was considered to be not on the same level as adultery, but somewhere close, like just as debaucherous, so to speak. Sorry to use a lot of words. All of those words mean just very bad. Um, uh, so yeah, in that way, even though it was something that wasn't, I don't personally believe that it's wrong. My parents might not agree with me, but I don't necessarily believe that it's wrong. I also think that it's immoral um, to hold that kind of standard. But it was so culturally entrenched that the generation couldn't break from it. 
It wasn't just a matter of law, it was a matter of culture. So it, the, just the idea of Apostle Paul abolishing circumcision completely and just the idea of Apostle Paul saying that the Ten Commandments is null and void because Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sins is just so shocking, so conscious shocking, uh, conscience shocking that they can't possibly listen to the gospel even if the words that are coming out of Apostle Paul's mouth is true. So that's... That's what's, that's the cultural and political consequence of this rumor. It's a huge rumor. For us, it's like, okay, whatever. But like, at the time, it's a huge rumor. It's a huge deal, both culturally and politically. It can get him killed, but it can also get him excommunicated, just from Jews in general. Um, now comes the point of, well, did Apostle Paul actually do this? I don't know if y'all know the answer to that. What do you guys think? Do you think that that's what Apostle Paul is saying? We've read Galatians, we've read Ephesians, we've read 1 Corinthians, we've read all these different books together. You know, do you believe that that's true? That the gospel is saying that that's true? And do you believe that Apostle Paul taught that? Think about it for yourself. Some of y'all might be like, well, you gotta call a spade a spade. Um... But actually, Apostle Paul did not do this. And this is actually a very crucial distinction to make. Paul's point in Galatians 3, do you believe by faith or by works of the law, is actually not about the Jews, but it's about, it's basically Paul is not saying that the Jews should stop practicing Jewish custom, but Paul is saying that it is not a requirement for faith. Do you understand? It's a nuanced difference. But it is not required for faith to follow morality and to follow follow cultural customs or to be in the right political party. That's not a necessitative, like Christianity does not necessitate anything other than belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who has died for us in love and who has come to the world not to condemn it but to save it and has raised us and given us his authority and his righteousness so that we can call God Abba Father. And not only that, he's resurrected and he is seated at the right hand of God. That's the gospel that we believe in. Our gospel that we believe in is an equalizing gospel. It's a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of mercy. It's a gospel of justice. And it's a gospel of love. But it's not a gospel of law, and it's not a gospel of culture. There is no clash between Mosaic law and the gospel. Just because faith does not necessitate circumcision, and just because faith does not necessitate the Gentiles following all the, all the laws of eating the right things and doing the right Jewish rites and customs, doesn't actually mean that the gospel is opposed to those things. Paul only says not to require it as faith or tell the Gentiles to do it. He does not stop the Jews from stopping their customs. He does not, he's not, he does not block things that are not just religious but cultural and moral. Um, this is a very key distinction to make. So, the elders ask him, the elders are like, all right, so there's this crazy rumor going on. And basically, you're going to be excommunicated. The easiest thing is you're going to be excommunicated. And the worst thing is you're going to be killed. So we got to do something about it. We got to cover your butt because you ain't about that. And we know you ain't about that. We're just not We're just not enforcing Jewish customs upon believers. But we're not stopping Jewish people from being Jewish. So we got we to gotta do something about this. And this is what the elders have come up with. The elders asked him to join four men in the Nazarite vow and purify himself with them, as well as pay for their shaving at the end to show that it isn't like them. So the elders say, okay, Paul, there are four people, this is three, there are four people who are finishing up their Nazarite vow right now. What is the Nazarite vow? Man, I am explaining so much context, but what is the Nazarite vow? Nazarite vow is in Leviticus, is a vow where a man um, holds himself to higher standards and basically abstains 
for almost to a point of like freakishness, um, to be completely set apart for a year. They don't even, you don't eat certain foods, you don't cut your hair, you don't shave your beard, you don't do nothing. You, you don't cut any part of your hair and you only eat certain things. You can't eat grapes, you can't drink alcohol, um, just for a whole year. And that's considered the Nazarite vow. Actually, there are a good amount of Christians that do it. Um, one of my, one of my good brothers, actually a couple years ago in college, his last year, he actually did the Nazarite vow. And I have to say, he looks so bad at the end. Like this man is a good looking man, right? But man, it was not a look. Um, I believe he kept that hair after, but uh, yeah. So the Nazarite vow is is a is a legitimate thing in Leviticus, and not only Jews but Christians enacted in it because the gospel not only includes the New Testament but it includes the Old. It's all a part of God's story for His people, and so they were saying, okay, so there are four people coming off it. Why don't you finish their vow with them, get purified with them, and then pay for them so that they can shave their head? And Paul's like, actually, we'll go into Paul's reaction afterwards. Now, so it gets to a point where Paul has to react and respond to this rumor. Now, you might think, like, why why does Paul have to go that far? It's just something that is a matter of being blatantly shocking. Like, imagine, imagine I came into service one day and I was like, all right, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And only Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, so stop listening to your parents. Your parents are not your God. Jesus is your God. So stop listening to them. Some of us will be like, yeah. But others of us might be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And especially if you're a parent, you're like, oh my God, cover my child's ears. Oh my God, what is this person saying, right? Um, it's a pretty shocking message. And in reality, is that message right? I don't think so. Because God fulfills the Old Testament. He doesn't abolish it. Would God be pleased if we cease to honor our father and mother? Spoiler alert. No. <laughs> no. Resounding no. Uh, anyways. Uh, that doesn't mean you should do everything for them. This is another conversation. I'm not going to get into that. Um, but yes. Insofar as obeying them and honoring them does not clash with the word of God. With the will of God. Yes, honor your parents. Right? And so if somebody came in and said that, that would be ridiculous. What if I came in one day? Not that I will. I won't. I won't. I won't. Not when, let's think of another example, right? What if I came in one day and preached superbly drunk? Like superbly drunk. And the point of that was, you can drink and eat whatever you want. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. Like I said, some of us would be like, yeah, but others of us will be like, what the heck is going on in this church? Like, what is literally going on in this church, right? Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. And, and so, oh, and, and, even worse, like, let me just give a third example. Let's say so I, somebody came in, I invited someone, I was like, had a guest speaker come in, and this guest speaker was a fiery person, and that fiery person said, Christian life requires you to riot against the government. You don't follow the government. You follow Jesus. Everybody's like, yeah. I've been looking around like, where am I? You know what I mean? Oh my God, I gotta get out of here. I'm going to get out of here before somebody points a gun at me. Like, you know what I mean? Um, it's not true. And so the, the, because these rumors are so bad, Paul has to, Paul is given almost like an ultimatum. It's really a request, but it's a strong request about what to do. You might wonder, Jane Doe, but doesn't the cross theoretically set us free? Why does Paul have to conform to the law? Are you saying that like drinking is bad in your example? And are you saying that I have to listen to my parents at all costs? Like, isn't, isn't freedom a part of faith? Yes, freedom is a part of faith. 
Yes, technically, I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. I want to expressly say, there is no shame about drinking alcohol, okay? Drunkenness is a different matter altogether. Um, but there's no shame in, in drinking, and there's no shame in in sin, in, so to speak. Um, there's nothing that you can do that God can't love you through um, and guide you through back to Him. Freedom is given. However, freedom is not necessarily lawlessness. I'm going to say that one more time. Freedom is given, but freedom in Christ is not necessarily lawlessness. See, we're given freedom from what? Freedom from what? We're given freedom from captivity. And that captivity is captivity to what? Sin and death. We are freed from the captivity of sin and death that lead to our eternal death and separation from God. We are free to live for Him, live with Him, be in relationship with Him, and be in relationship with one another. That does not necessarily mean lawlessness, okay? It's just that Jesus reigns higher than every other thing. Yes, we still honor the Ten Commandments, but we don't honor the Ten Commandments for the sake of being saved anymore. The distinction is that the Jewish law existed so that we can be holy, but God has already made us holy. So Jesus reigns above these things, but that doesn't mean that we necessarily go into the state of lawlessness because Christ has forgiven me, I can do whatever I want. This is somewhat true. But life with Christ does not necessarily mean lawlessness. Because now that we have a relationship with Him, and now that we have acknowledged Him, not just as our friend, not just as our teacher, but as our Lord, we are engaging and entering into a relationship with Him. And that's also why like different cultures worship God differently, but it's not necessarily wrong. Because the only thing that reigns supreme is Jesus. Okay, so Paul is confronted with this, right? What does Paul do? Knowing Paul, some of you guys might think, maybe Paul will flip it upside down, right? Maybe Paul will be like, yo, screw this and walk out. I'm going home. Why do I have to do this for y'all? I don't, I don't need to do this for y'all. Just because it's a bro- like, I mean, I... I confess, being a very sassy New Yorker, um, I I might have that attitude from time to time. Like, why do I have to like do this for you guys? It's a rumor. Like, people are talking ill of me, and it's not even true. But Paul's Paul's reaction, the stiff-necked, strong leader's reaction, is actually to agree with the elders' request. The very next day, he demonstrates obedience to the law. He gets immersed in the pool of Siloam, ascending in new life. And he pays for their heads to be shaved. This could be seen as like, I don't know if you guys know the term, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Do you guys know that term? When in Rome, you do as the Romans do. I took my, um, I, I didn't comment on this before, but I, 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 I didn't comment on this before. I'm sorry, this is the only example I can think of. I'm so sorry. But my, 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 my roommates and I, we actually went to, um, uh, New York this past week. I have never seen them walk so fast in my life. Um, <laughs> it was, I was chuckling on the side because they were walking super fast. Like, we're, we're pretty laid back out here. We're, I, I could, I think we could safely say there were three grandmas. Um, I don't like to move. Uh, the rest of them don't like to, no, actually. And well, Amy's pretty active. Tar and I, maybe, <laughs> we maybe move a little less. Amy moves a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, this past week we went to New York and I've never seen them walk so fast consistently before in my life. Also, I'm, pro- I'm pretty sure they've never seen me walk that fast before. But what are wrong? <laughs> We're going to keep up with the, the crowds of New Yorkers, right? Um, yeah, I mean, there's this terminology that when you're in Rome, you do as, do as the Romans do. Americans actually really suck at that. When Americans go into like Europe or Asia or Africa, like the right thing to do is when you're going to another country, on the plane, you read up on the language just a little bit, alright? Ain't nobody like assuming that everybody knows how to speak English. If you need to pee, but you can't read the bathroom signs, you're gonna die. So you gotta learn the bathroom signs, right? If you need to like, 
eat, but you don't have a food sign. You gotta learn the food sign. So you learn the food sign, you learn how do you do, you learn how much does this cost, right? Like get yourself acquainted with the symbols and the and whatever whatnot. Um but actually Americans are less like that. Americans are very infamously known to be the type of people to just go into a space and speak English. Like everybody's in France every in France, everybody's speaking French and the Americans like, oh can I buy this croissant? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh or um in just in other countries as well. Americans are very well known for this. And at the core of this is a very big problem. Like it's something that we can joke about and laugh about and maybe even do ourselves. Um guiltily so, but definitely. Um but at the core of it it's a, it's a very tough situation because there's this there's this tension of do we attempt to change ourselves? to meet people where they are, or do we force ourselves upon them? And there's this culture of Americans where we kind of enforce and impose our way of life onto everybody else. Even even when somebody, let's say somebody, we have a we have a lot of new members in our ministry these days. Hallelujah, praise God. We love having everybody in our family. Um, but it's very much so the case that in American culture, when somebody new enters in, Nobody's going to make space for that person. You either learn to conform and adapt or you get left behind. There's this there's this nature of Americanism. Right? It's like keep up. If y'all don't keep up, you get left behind, right? And we bring that into every space that we go to as a nation, not maybe all of you guys individually, not making that assumption, but it's easy for us to bring that into every country that we go to. America is the best country in the world. That's not true, by the way. Um, but we'll go into other countries and act like it. And we'll convey something with our attitude. This is not a behavioral habit. That's a heart attitude. That's a heart problem. Um, and Paul is very much so capable of being that man. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's been taught better than nearly every other apostle. He is one of the head honchos. He has been such a prolific and successful missionary at this point. Anything Paul says can go. And nobody can really tell him what to do. But Paul humbles himself. He does something that is very uncharacteristic of him, and he follows through with Jewish custom, even though he's a professing Christian, even though he has turned away from the Jews and has gotten a lot of backlash for it, he still goes back and does the Jewish custom for the sake of the church. Not something called contextual ministry. But James, and, and, and some of you guys might, might be questioning at this point, like, yes, it's contextual ministry. Yes, Paul is meeting them where they're at. But low key, isn't this like not consistent? Like why would Paul go back and observe Jewish law, religious law? Is Paul then saying that Jesus isn't real? Like why is this so inconsistent? Why is Paul being so inconsistent? It's actually because this act of purification is even, it's just so culturally entrenched that it's hard to draw the line. It's like, it's just as much culture as religion and it's almost like a requirement to be Jewish, if that makes sense. Like, for example, if you have a Korean citizenship, and I'm sorry that I only have Korean examples today, but I, we're, Korea's a wild country. Uh, but in Korea, if you have a Korean citizenship and you're a man, you are mandated to do military service. Doesn't matter. I mean, there are health, I believe there are health exceptions, but it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how tall you are. It don't matter if you're strong or weak. It don't matter if you're, you know, um, physically inclined or not. It doesn't matter. Every single boy has to go through mandatory military service. They have to admit themselves into the army between the ages of 18 and 29. They have to. They have to. And if you don't, you get culturally shunned. It's actually so bad. You get shamed. Some people have actually become kicked out of the country. Some celebrities have been kicked out of the country and they're not let back in. Um, in that same way, Paul is acknowledging not just the religion, but he's acknowledging where they come from. He's acknowledging their culture. He's acknowledging their thought. And even though it's so uncharacteristic of him, even though honestly it might even be embarrassing for him because he is so completely turned away from Jewish tradition. 
he still humbles himself and goes the distance for the Jews in Jerusalem. The point is that Paul does not conform absolutely to the religion. He doesn't just denounce Christ, but he chooses to relate to them in a way that doesn't take away from his faith. This is not a matter of apostasy. It's not a matter of idolatry. It's actually a matter of unity. It's relating to others, even if they don't agree with you, even if they don't live the same lifestyle as you, and even if you might think that you know better than them, you're still relating to them. You're still meeting them where they're at. Paul does not want these rumors to come between him and the church. Paul doesn't want these rumors to stop these people from receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's why Paul goes the extra mile to do this. Because at the end of the day, his pride is not what's important, it's God. And it's God's people. This is really hard. And that's why I've taken so much time to talk about this. Y'all might be thinking this is a long sermon for 14 verses. But I really believe at the heart of it, there's not a single person in our congregation that will be willing to do that. I really believe that. And it's not because you guys are bad people. Because I'm including myself in that. I honestly think I might be one of the most prideful people in this room. So um, I'm not saying by any means that you guys are bad people. I just think that as American Christians, we have this notion of being staunch and, you know, calling a spade a spade and standing up for what we believe to the point where it hurts other people. And I truly, truly believe that that is the greatest problem with the American church right now. Us as evangelicals, we just, we just shove our faith down people's throats to the point where they hurt. But when you look at the example of Paul in scripture, he even went back to his old way. He even went back to his old tradition, even though he completely denounced it, completely rejected it. He did something that was completely contrary to his character, just for the sake of unity in love. So this isn't a matter of lack of consistency. This isn't a matter of Paul being prescriptive and Paul demonstrating that Christ isn't the ruler of the... Christ isn't king of this kingdom. It's actually Paul being pastoral. This is a moment where Paul is loving on them. And it's something that might be really difficult for us to swallow. If you guys are, you know, in the process of even, like swallowing Christianity I'm not necessarily saying you gotta go out there and meet every single person where they're at tomorrow like take your time God is patient and he is kind um, and in reaction to this I'm not saying we all, we all gotta switch tomorrow yeah, we gotta get a whole lot more loving and a whole lot more pastoral tomorrow God is patient and kind thank God that even when we act in ways that are so contrary to Christ he still loves us even when we don't understand, even when we fall away, even when we don't agree, even when we question God and doubt God, and even when we lord our faith over other people, God still loves us. And he still builds us up to be a little bit closer to him today than I was yesterday. And a little bit more close to him tomorrow than I was today. Not that we are actually far from him, because we're actually really close to him, but it's our awareness and our distraction that stops that. So even though we are the ones that fall away, even though we're the ones that get confused, even though we're the ones that get distracted, even though we're the ones that stop prioritizing him, thank God that he still loves us. Thank God that he still loves us. Church, we gotta understand though, that out of everything right now, this hard attitude of not being able to meet others where they're at is really hard. That Those rumors were, un, were unfounded. You guys understand that, right? Paul didn't actually do any of the things that people believed that he did. So Paul didn't actually have to respond to those rumors. He could be like, yeah, you know, he could just smile and wave at the haters. He could just ignore them. You know what I mean? And yet, to these people that were so culturally entrenched, he was willing to meet them where they were. He was willing to meet their context and love them where they were. So what can we learn about this today? 
We are not Christians to be staunch about our beliefs at the expense of other people. Unity is important insofar as we do not compromise our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are not to be pompous. We are not to be self-oriented in the faith as Christians. That is contrary to our faith in and of itself. Being staunch about Jesus Christ dying and resurrecting from the grave is important. But everything outside of that, how we are to act, how we are to dress, the value of people, the actions of other people, whether or not those people are loved by God, that's not for us to judge. In fact, us being staunch and unrelenting about the way that we live, the holier-than-thou way, to all the way to, you know, racism and and supremacy and issues of power and religion and gender and socioeconomic status and all of those things as well. But even just down to being holier-than-thou, being staunch about our religion to the point where it shames other people, that is not Christian of you. It, it's not. And maybe some of you guys haven't done it. I'm not assuming that you guys are like that. By any means. By any any means. You guys are better people than me overall. And I truly, truly, 300% believe that. So I'm not assuming that you guys are doing that. But even if you guys aren't actually doing that right now, it's still an important reminder that we are not to do that. That is counter-cultural. That is counter-intuitive to faith. Okay? We have loving others as Christ loved us. And in 1 John 4, 19, it says, or is it 4, 20? It says, we we love because he first loved us. And loving others because Christ first loved us has a direct application here. We are called to meet others the way Jesus has. Jesus is not a God that forces us out of our cultural status, that forces us out of our context, that forces us out of our time, and forces us to kneel before him. Jesus is a loving, generous God that sees you right where you are, in your situation, in your insecurity, in your culture, in your time, in the place, in the in in the in the political and social location that you're in. And he meets you there. In that same way, when we love other people, we need to meet them where they're at. Not to bend over backwards and throw out religion. But when you're when you're sharing the gospel to someone who is LGBTQ plus. How are you going to relate to them? When you're sharing the gospel to somebody who is not the same gender as you, or to somebody who might be trans, and I might have gone through a transition, how are you going to meet them? When you are with somebody that is different from you, and this is something, man, guys, I need you to hear that I am just as bad at this. Somebody on the other social or political stream of consciousness than you. How are you going to meet in the middle? Because yes, some really negative, nasty things are being propagated right now in our society. But the answer to that is unity. And I have to be willing to listen to somebody who is a conservative evangelical in order for me to be able to relate to them and love them and walk with them so that it can change, so that our country, our church can change. Change doesn't happen from the outside in. It doesn't happen from being self-righteous even about moral things and social things. If some of you guys are more progressive than others and you spend your time shaming other people for not acting on things, that doesn't actually do anything. And that's not Christian of you either. Because we are no better than Trump. We can't be. That would be counterintuitive to religion, to the to our faith in Christ. That's not the answer. And I know that sounds so hypocritical coming from me because I know I can get really angry about this sometimes, but I feel really convicted these days more than ever to just work on it. Because how are like Nothing's gonna change. If we don't, if we don't stop, nothing's gonna change. Nothing. Literally nothing is going to change. How are you meeting people? 
It might take more love than we are capable. Then we call upon the Lord Jesus and we get on our knees and we say, Hanadim, I need help. God, I need help. I need help. I can be staunch. I can be preposterous and a little bit pompous sometimes. That's why I'm saying it. That's why God's making me say it because now you guys can hold me accountable. Uh, and last, last but not least, freedom is not lawlessness. Freedom, on the other hand, is not cheap grace. Don't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior just to do whatever the heck you want. Then Jesus isn't your God. You are. If you want, like, engaging in a relationship with God might mean that now you let another person into that conversation and making decisions. It's like marriage. Before, you did what you wanted. You lived where you wanted. You did the job that you wanted. But when you get married, there's a whole other life. <laughs> there's a whole other... And then, and then there's little... I don't... We have young people in our ministry now, so sacks of blood is not a... <laughs> you know, you have children... You have children, and then it's little bodies running around that don't know what to do with themselves, and then you've got like a whole, a whole, a whole tribe, a whole army that you, that you can't, you can't just live the way you want anymore. You know? In that same way, when somebody is that important to you, it's not just a singular decision anymore, it's a conversation. And if God is truly our Lord, then freedom is not lawlessness. Freedom is, maybe freedom right now might be the Ten Commandments. Maybe freedom right now might be as crazy as Johan and doing the Nazarite vow. I don't recommend it, but it was good for him. Um, maybe freedom right now might be even just being uncomfortable. Being okay with being uncomfortable. Being willing to be uncomfortable. God meets every culture where they're at. And we ought not to inform others of culture in that way, but come together in our differences by being uncomfortable and meeting in the boundary. This might mean different people than us, people that look different than us, people that think different than us, people that speak different than us. Having the critical thinking, in like critically thinking enough to realize, okay, where... What part of my Christianity is informed by the Bible and what part of my Christianity is informed by America and informed by the Enlightenment and informed by American superiority? Am I looking down on African Christians? Am I looking down on Asian Christians? Am I looking down on my parents for not having read the Bible as much as I have? For not praying as much as me? Am I looking down on anybody? What is informing my faith right now? And one important way that we might be able to apply this today is in our parent generation. They're different than us, guys. We look the same. We've got the same blood flowing through our veins. But culturally, generationally, linguistically, we are different. And even it is hard to communicate when y'all are in, when we are in two different generations and we both speak English well, it is hard to communicate. But then there's this added factor of not being able to, one person not speaking English and one person not speaking Korean. And then it's like, you know, just y'all are not even, it's just not even being on the same page at that point. But we can apply the gospel today of meeting them. Instead of being like, hey, they're the older generation. They should be the ones to meet us. They're the older ones. Why don't you try striking a conversation with your parents tonight? Just ask them what they were doing when they were your age. You don't have to talk about anything serious. You don't have to like try anything too crazy. Just, just sit down with them and be like, hey, mom, hey pops, like, what were y'all doing when you were in your 20s? You don't have to talk about, if they start chanzori, like if they start talking and nagging you, good luck to you all, um, but, you don't just silence that conversation for a second and be like, hey, like, what were you doing when you were young? And spend some time to meet them. Um, especially if your parents are not as Christian as you, that might be a really good way 
to show the love of God to me. At times, it is important to stand in the gap for the sake of unity and freedom in the body. Can we take a minute to pray? What part of today's sermon called out to you? I know it's hard to pick up every single point that was being made, but is there anything that the whole, by the power of the Holy Spirit that has called out to you? Would you take a minute with me just to pray? If you if you don't know how to do that, um, that's fine. You just start with God. And you just talk to him like you would to me. If you do really feel like some part of some part of what we talked about today really spoke to you, then maybe you could tell him that. You know, this part really spoke to me and I, I don't really know what to do with that. Maybe some of you guys are having a hard time finding him. Then would you take this moment with me to just receive his love? We love because he first loved us and it's hard for us to be able to love other people when we have a hard time receiving that he's loved us first. That he has met us first. That he loves us in our brokenness, in our confusion, in our doubt, in our weaknesses right now. So maybe you can just even a couple sentences God, I don't I don't know your love. I don't, I don't know how to take in for myself the fact that you love me. I don't even know how to love myself right now. God, teach me how to do that. Teach me that you love me. Help me to realize more and more that you love me so that I can show that love to other people. Since some of us are in a harder time, and quarantine has been a really difficult time, not just in the world, but also in our lives, changing so much. We just lift up a prayer to God, asking for peace. Perseverance. And remember, if you guys are having a hard time, we have one another. So if, if that's you, if you've been isolating yourself and you're having a hard time receiving the love of God and you're going through a really rough season and you're not able to receive God's love for you yourself right now, and you're not talking to anybody about it in this body of Christ. Why don't you lift that up in prayer? Just, God, I don't, I don't know how to talk to people about where I'm at. But Lord, I know that you have created me to be a relational human being. So help me, God. Grant opportunities to you. And maybe talk to at least one person this week. We are in this together. Even from comfort, from Christianity and conviction, all the way to loving and meeting other people where they're at. We are in all of it together. So you don't have to do it alone. So yeah. Wherever you guys are at, let's just lift a prayer to God. Let's pray. From wherever you are listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at nbkumc.com.